available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the 24th, the USC site on the 24-7 wow. Sports Network. Wow, out of the gate. I'm on cold medicine, David, so maybe this is I can blame some of that on me. My head's a little I, spinning. I threw you off a little bit, too, because I did mine a little bit differently. Like, tones were different, so you were probably just out of rhythm. Yeah, it, it, it did feel a little different. Uh, we're yeah. coming in there, but I, my head's spinning. I spent all day on the, the track at NASCAR yesterday, drinking a lot of uh, beers and stuff. And with uh, Dayquil and beers, go they don't go together all that well. But I'm, I'm back today. Uh, this is my second podcast of the day, but this is our podcast of champions, all things Pac-12. We got a Washington-focused show today. So we're going to have Chris Fetters coming in, talking about the Huskies who don't start spring football for another couple of weeks, but... A lot of interesting topics what we're going to hear uh, from Chris about going into Washington. It will probably be the favorite again to win the Pac-12. If you want to email us uh, any kind of questions you got, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call us or text us, you can do that too. The number is 424-532-0678. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. You can always tweet us at Pac-12podcast. We actually submitted or asked for questions for Chris Fetter, so we cannot forget Dave to uh, to read some of those questions to Chris before we let him go. And then Pac12podcast.com is the website. Of course, subscribe on iTunes. Give us a positive rating, some feedback, five stars, all that good stuff. Uh, we do appreciate all of that. Absolutely, all the time. And I think like right now, since we reminded ourselves, there is a good like 65% chance we're going to remember to ask those questions. <laughs> because Chris, you have to re- you have to remind us, Chris. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll like, do what I can. I'm 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 suffering. I'm cold medicine myself, Ryan. So I'm 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 with you guys. Oh well, that that beautiful voice everyone hears is Chris Fetters. Uh, he's at Chris underscore Fetters on Dogman. He cover. He's the editor for Dogman two four seven. Chris, your Twitter photo has an incredible beard. That that beard is is amazing. Thank you. What are you doing with that thing? Do you condition it? I condition mine. No, I, I, I go commando. It's just straight, straight wow. off. I don't, I don't even touch it. Uh, why would you touch it? Why would you, why would you want, why would you want to screw with greatness? Look, even if you're not a Washington fan, go to, go to Chris <laughs> at Chris underscore fetters. It's a great beard. I, I'm just impressed. Thank you. I have beard envy with the two of you guys. I have no beard. So I don't know. Yeah. Just, I feel That's like you're crossed to bear. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, I think because I think because I live so far north, I can just get away with it. If I was living in California, I'd probably have to manscape it. Uh, mm, I actually went I, I actually went heavier beardy in Southern California than I do now in Georgia. Like I've got I've got a pretty close crop these days. OK, yeah, it's choices. Look, we all make choices in life, but we are not here to talk about beard maintenance. No, we are here <laughs> to talk about Washington Huskies. Um, as everyone knows who listens to this show. 
Uh, we are big fans of um, now entering his sixth year, Jake Browning, quarterback for the Washington Huskies. Um, we but- have some breaking news here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the breaking news is that's that's been a joke for a very long time now. Browning is now gone. Uh, so into spring practice in April. Uh, can you break down the main contenders that you're thinking of for that quarterback job? Does anybody have the inside track right now? What what are you thinking heading into spring? Well, it's interesting because, yeah, it's going to be the, obviously the first time in four years. Um, you haven't had to really worry about the situation in terms of uh, spring football. It's always been kind of cut and dried and everyone kind of knew what the, what the situation was going to be. And, and it was more a matter of who was going to be the backup, but uh, yeah, this, and, and to be honest, I mean, all the talk, this, this, you know, as soon as Jacob Eason transferred from Georgia to Washington, all the talk was, okay, he is the heir apparent to Jake Browning. He's going to be like the polar opposite of Jake Browning, you know, Browning six two, 200 pounds, Eason six, six two thirty, has, the biggest arm in the world. If you, you know, if you're a Washington fan, you're up here in Seattle and you listen to guys like Hugh Millen on KJR or Brock Heward on ESPN and all those guys, you know, they'll talk to you about the intangibles, the physical intangibles of a guy like Jacob Eason. Um, But again, they're going to have legitimately five guys in the room. And if we leave aside Dylan Morris, the true freshman who is enrolled already. If we kind of put him off to the side and let him redshirt and do all those things, which we absolutely expect is going to happen. You still have four legitimate guys and, and, and Chris Peterson certainly isn't going to name a starter on day one of, of, of camp here in a couple of weeks. He's going to, he's going to let him go through full spring at least. And I would think, you know, given his track record, he may not even name a starter until, the week of the first game of the season, if he if he if he thinks he he can hold a competitive advantage by doing that, he'll do it. I mean, that's just kind of what he does. But all signs certainly point to to Jacob Eason certainly being the guy because of the year he spent as a starter at Georgia as a freshman, you know. And then you know, because a lot of people, you know, they think that Jake Fromm took the job away from Jacob Eason, but that's not the case. Jacob Eason got hurt. Jake Fromm take over took over and kind of well, you know. Um, Who's the guy? Wally Pipped. He kind of Wally Pipped him. And um, and so then that's why it looked like uh, it was going to be in Easton's best interest if he wanted to play to to go do somewhere else. And so that's why he decided to come back to Washington because it was during that transition time when Peterson was moving in and, and Sark was moving out. And they just – there was not enough time to really get that recruitment done for Easton – and give give Kirby Smart and and um, and those guys credit. They had really recruited Eason strong from the beginning. So Washington was always going to be behind the eight ball when they made that coaching change. Um, but then you look at the guys behind Eason. You've got Jake Hayner who played last year. Obviously, he's only going to be known for the pick six at California. That was the difference in the ball game there. Um, it's unfortunate because I think he's he does some nice things, but he is definitely more of a Browning type guy more of a guy that's going to win you over with his smarts and um, and with his ability to be accurate with the football and and those kinds of things that Chris Peterson really values and Bush Hamden, the, the offensive coordinator. But then behind them, you've got the two redshirt freshmen who are really intriguing, two very different kind of body types in Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon. Yankoff's definitely more of a dual guy. He can really use his legs to to, to escape and do things. And then Sermon is more in that Eason mold of that prototypical NFL-style drop-back guy, sit in the pocket, scan the field, and go, you know, you know, throw the ball down the field. Has a good arm, and um, and those kinds of things. So they have a they have a 
a, a variety of different guys that they can go to. But, you know, right now, if you're a Washington fan, I, I have to think that that everyone believes that Jacob Sermon's got or Jacob Eason, excuse me, has the inside track um, in terms of what's going to happen. And, and I think people are so excited for it just because it's been a whole year of of kind of waiting for him to be unveiled because he had a red shirt. He had the whole transfer situation, um, which is kind of crazy now with all the immediate transfers for quarterbacks nowadays. You, you almost kind of feel a little bit for a guy like Jacob Eason who did all the right things, um, yet had to sit out a year while some of these other guys have been able to transfer immediately. The uh, I think the whole Pac-12 is going to be watching what Washington does at the quarterback position. Everyone had different opinions on Jacob Brown, you know, Jake Browning. Not say Jacob. There's a lot of Jacobs. Jake Browning. Um, you know, seeing who's going to take over, but trying to replace a guy like Miles Gaskin is also going to be difficult too. What what's uh, what's up with the running back situation there, Chris? Yeah, no, there's no question, Ryan. And and I just kind of took a quick look at it before because I knew I was going to be on. And um, you know, obviously they lose over 95 percent of their passing numbers, and they lose almost 90 percent of their touchdown numbers when it comes to when they lose a guy like Jake Browning. Um, what's kind of interesting, though, is that you thought as, as much as Washington really relied on Miles Gaskin to be that every down back, and there's no question. I mean, you know, again, he's the first Pac-12 running back to run for over 1,000 yards in four straight seasons. And he had over 5,000 total yard rushing yards. I mean, the guy was an absolute bell cow. I mean, he was the focal point. What's interesting is last year he averaged about 106 yards a game, but the rest of the team – average over 80 yards a game. So it's even though they're going to lose like 60% of their carries and like 58, 59% of the, of the production and over and almost a third of the touchdowns, they're getting back a pretty good chunk, a little bigger chunk than I think people might expect when you look at Savon Ahmed, Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant. And then you add another guy in Richard Newton who red shirted and he's, you know, 195 plus, and he's getting good. He he got some good reviews at the combine day uh, that they had this last weekend on Friday. So there's 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 ample reason to believe that Washington could might be able to help fill the numbers out a little bit. But the question remains: Can one of those guys maybe be a go-to guy when they really really need it? Now Savon Ahmed is the main guy, and he ran a four-three-two at the combine day. Everyone obviously has been raving about his athleticism from the moment he stepped on campus, but he's never been considered the kind of every down back that Gaskin was. He's a guy that you want to get in space, try to see if he can get to the next level, try to use him maybe in some passing packages to try to get him out on the edges a little bit. Um, McGrew and, and Kamari Pleasant are probably a little bit more of those every down guys, but you know, McGrew's 5'7". And um, even though he's a former Gatorade State Player of the Year and all that stuff and came from a big program in Bosco, you know, he's, he's just not a prototypical guy. And we know that there's been guys in the past that have been that size that have done well, whether it's a, a Maurice Jones Drew or what have you. But he's just not built like that. That's just not his thing. Um, but he's still probably good for, you know, 10 carries a game if they needed him that way. Kamari Pleasant is kind of the interesting one. And I think Richard Newton as well. Those two guys might add some extra to the to the running attack that they're going to need to have to have in order to to uh, make up for the loss of a guy like Gaskin. When you're um, <clears throat> when you're looking at the defense, I mean, obviously, Washington's had to lo- uh, lost a lot of guys before to NFL and, and variety of things. What? How's the personnel revamp going to go on defense? What are the main spots where you're 
looking to see, you know, some guys step up this spring. Yeah, that that's the other huge question, Dave, for sure. Um, you know, they lose 10 guys that had starts on that defense this year, which is, you know, that's pretty remarkable. That's, you know, when you only play 11 guys at a time, that's pretty right. significant. Um, one of them obviously is, is a guy, Austin Joyner, they lost to concussion. So he medically retired, but then the other nine guys played, you know, Jalen Johnson, Shane Bowman, Greg Gaines, Tevis Bartlett, Ben Burke, Jojo McIntosh, Jordan Miller, Taylor Rapp, Byron Murphy. I mean, all those guys, you know, I, I think I counted them all up and between the 10 guys, when you add in Joyner, they had over 235 starts combined. And that's a lot of experience. I mean, that's just a lot of experience that they're going to have to that they're going to have to make up for. You know, Greg Gaines played 40. He started 47 games. Jojo McIntosh started 40 games. Taylor Rapp only played three years in, at Washington. He started 35 games. So, you know, they, they, they've got some serious holes they've got to fill. Uh, starts up front. They only have one real returning starter in Levi Anzarike, um, but they have some real talented redshirt freshmen that 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 all redshirted guys like Tuli Latuli Gasanoa, Sam Taimani, Mosiah uh, 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 Nasili Liu is another guy. Um, Draco Bynum is an interesting choice too because I don't know if he's going to stay on defense or maybe he could even move to tight end. Um, not sure exactly what's going to happen with him yet. Um, there's been you know thoughts that that is possible because they did that with Will Disley a few years back, and obviously it was a really really good move for them. So um, there's a possibility there. Now they've also taken one of their receivers in Alex Cook, and they moved him over to the safety position because they're going to be a little thin there, losing both McIntosh and Rapp. They've got uh, Brandon McKinney coming back there. Um, they've got Isaiah Gilchrist, who's a you know is a guy that came from Bellevue, highly touted kid. Um, he should be making his move pretty much right around now this spring uh, to try to be a starter. Then they've got Cook, but then they've also got some redshirt freshman guys like Julius Irvin, Dominique Hampton. Kyler Gordon had a monster, monster combine, uh, jumped 42 and a half inches in the vertical jump. Um, so they've got some athletes back there for sure. And then, you know, you, you still talk about guys like Elijah Molden and, and Keith Taylor coming back to help solidify things there. Um, they lose two big time uh, linebackers in Ben Burke, and Tevis Bartlett. But they've got guys like Brandon Wellington coming back. They've got DJ Beavers coming back. But then they've got some young boys coming in. Jackson Sermon is a guy, is a name that I think Washington fans need to remember. MJ Tafisi is another guy as well. And then they've got an experienced guy, senior in Kyler Manu. Haven't really done anything yet, but this has got to be his time to step up. Uh, Peterson has shown that he's been able to get guys to kind of be one-season wonders at the end of their careers um, you know, like Tani Tupo, for instance, on the defensive line, he was able to do it uh, his final year. Um, so they, they've been able to, to get guys to really kind of step up and 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 elevate their game at the end of their careers. And, and he certainly needs to be a guy that can do that. So, again, 10 guys that had starts that they've got to replace. They have the numbers and they have the bodies that can do it. But how quickly can those guys ramp up? We'll find out, obviously, more this spring. The uh, For the coaching uh, situation, obviously, you know, Chris, uh, you know, Chris Peterson back for a sixth season, uh, had some, uh, coordinator turnover last year with Bush Hamden and, uh, Jimmy Lake. They're both coming back for their second seasons. Um, how do you think that's going to impact things and how different you think it will be from that first year with those guys to the second year? Well, I think it's interesting because defensively, I think they feel really, really good because they're, they're very cohesive and they've been around a little bit. And, you know, the, the difference between, 
taking out Pete Kwiatkowski and putting in Jimmy Lake with, I wouldn't say it was cosmetic at all. It's obviously there's a lot more to it, but the, the they just kind of rearranged the deck chair, so to speak. You know, they 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 still were all on the same page when you add in a Kaika Malloy and Bob Gregory and Will Harris and those guys. They're all they all understand what's going on. It's just a different voice calling the plays now and and putting a little different spin on it. But the defensive philosophy is all very much Coach K and Coach Lake putting it all together, and it has been that way for a little while now. So I, I don't see I don't see there being much change in terms of the defense. Obviously, they'll make their little wrinkles and they'll do the little thing that they always do to kind of keep teams off balance when they're game planning. I think what's going to be really interesting is what Coach Peterson said after the Rose Bowl in terms of the offense and how he really feels like they need to they needed to do a little something different. They needed to start working it a little different. I mean, there was thoughts that that um, you know I don't I don't know what's going to happen exactly, and I think that's part of the mystery, and I think that's part of the reason why there's so much intrigue going in, not just in terms of the personnel with guys like Jacob Beeson and what's going to happen at running back and some of these things, but also. Are they going to get away from being like completely multiple and trying to, you know, confuse everyone with the shifts and the motions and all the other stuff? Are they going to try to scale it back a little bit? Are they going to try to get a little simpler and and maybe focus on a couple things to just do really, really, really well? Um, I don't know. We'll find out exactly. But he definitely kind of alluded to the fact that there were going to be some changes on offense um, during his postgame press conference after the Rose Bowl. And then again, they've, they've added a, a new name to the, um, the offensive coaches in terms of getting Junior Adams in as the new receivers coach for Matt Lubick. And even though Peterson and Junior, Junior Adams have never coached on the same team together, there's a lot of ties with them because Junior Adams had ties with um, Boise State. So he coached, I think, right after Peterson left. I think he was at Boise State. So there's there's connections there. There there's an understanding of what they're looking for. And Junior Adams actually got off the the ground, hit the ground really uh, hard in terms of the recruiting. Was able to get Puka Nakua to sign a letter of intent at the very very end, um, which was huge for Washington because if they had not signed a, a top notch receiver uh, in the class, it would have been um, it would have been a real hole that they need to fill. And um, and and it would have gotten, I think, maybe his his tenure off to a little rockier start. But now I think everyone's really excited because if he, he can land a guy like Nakua, what's the possibility for going down the road and getting a, a Johnny Wilson or, or some of these other guys that are the real studs for the 2020 class? Um, so but again, when you add a new a new body into the mix, a new way of thinking, all those kinds of things, that's just one more thing that the offensive staff's going to have to think about that the defensive staff's not going to have to worry about because of their continuity. Uh, Washington, just kind of generally from like a program perspective right now, um, you could already have said pretty easily that Washington was the best coach team in the Pac-12, like basically since Peterson's been there. Um, but now looking at the recruiting classes from the last few years, they've got an argument, especially with what USC has lost to transfer and also with their recruiting kind of tanking to a USC extent this year. Uh, you could make an argument that Washington's also got a strong argument to be the most talented team in the Pac-12 this year. Does that change the expectations up there? Um, you know, I mean, last year they were obviously they, they were very good, but um, not quite. Uh, playoff team last year are, are the expectations now that this you know getting a new quarterback in there or whatever or whatever it does to take tops upside up a little bit more 
is there that expectation now that you know they have to produce playoffs and that sort of thing year after year? Well, I think you nailed it, David. I think I think it's it's the the quarterback expectation. You know, the fact that you know the four year starter, the guy that everyone knew what he could do, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, the guy that had been picked apart at finite, you know, at infinitum. He was he's gone. I mean, he he you know. So the, it, it, there's so much that changes when you switch out a four-year starter quarterback that I think that's got everyone super intrigued. I think it's got everybody, what, what would be the term? It'd be cautiously optimistic, I guess, in terms of uh, the upside, the physical upside that a guy like Jacob Eason has, that, that a guy like Jake Brownie didn't have, for instance. Um, you know, just the, the ability for him to, to sit there and, and make an old-school throw right across the middle 20 yards down the field. Um, is you know something that that you just didn't see a, a ton with a guy like Browning, but you might see it more with Eason, just on paper. You know, we I don't know how much the offense is going to change fundamentally um, with him because the, the Peterson has always been pretty adamant about making sure that that they recruit the right players for the system and not the other way around, not not fit a system around the players that they have. Um, so it, I think it's going to be interesting that way because Eason w- is a little bit of a different story because he transferred back to, to Washington and, and back to the area. So it wasn't exactly like they were – I mean, they had recruited him, obviously, um, and they would have loved to have him at Washington because I, I think at that time it, it, it almost felt like it needed to be more of a recruiting coup than anything else. But in terms of the expectations, I mean – you know, 2016 turned expectations uh, and put them into the stratosphere. When you get into the Final Four and you're playing in a Peach Bowl against the number one team in the country in Alabama, and um, you, you're you're hanging with them until um, until a, a pick six in the you know at the end of the second in this end of the second quarter kind of changes the complexion of the entire game. You you feel like okay, we can hang. It's been a long time since Washington could hang. You know, they, they, they've got a guy that can get it done. And now I think everyone feels like it's the the next step in the evolution of this program is not just being satisfied with getting to the final four. And that's with winning one of those games and then getting to the to the championship game and seeing what happens. And then the next evolution after that is obviously winning that game. So they're very, very close to that doorstep. And, and I don't know if Washington fans feel like this is the year it's going to happen. Um, just because there's so much turnover, like we just described, in terms of the defense and and um, and how many bodies they're losing, but could 2020 be that guy? Could could if Eason decides to stay in 2020, could that be the year? I mean, it's I think that's something that has Washington fans really giddy and and really excited about the future. But you know, the other thing they have to think about too is that if Eason does go pro after 2019, you have to assume it's because he's had a really, really good year and a really, really good year for Jacob East at quarterback of Washington probably means I would think maybe another Rose Bowl appearance at the least, you know, I guess we'll, we'll find out, but I just, I have this feeling that if Jacob East decided decides to go pro after one year at Washington, after sitting out this last year, it means he feels like he got everything he needed accomplished. And that has to be, that has to be good news if you're a Washington fan. Yeah, I agree with you there, Chris. Um, if he's if he's going to go pro after next year, they're they're probably at least going to the Rose Bowl. Um, but you, you know, talking about the future of the program, have you seen a shift as far as the way Chris Peterson has recruited? Um, kind of going from you know the there's the OKGR kind of guy model. 
are you starting to see more like the higher rank guys coming in or is it a shift or is it just kind of like, I, I don't know. How would you describe how the way that Washington's recruiting has evolved over these last, uh, I guess, six years now? Well, the funny part, Ryan, is that, you know, in the beginning, and I was, I, I am as guilty as anyone on this. We were all, the question that we had is, we know that Chris Peterson develops players. We've seen the two-star guys go at Boise State and get churned out and end up in the NFL. We've seen it. So the developmental piece was never in question. What, but but could what what Chris Peterson would what he's trying to sell would that work in the homes of the four and five star guys? Could they be the OKGs? Would they be the right fit for Peterson? Because it's interesting. It's never really been about a great fit in terms of. Uh, I, I mean. I know the coaches want to see it this way in terms of them being the right fit for the school, but it almost feels like in many ways from the outside looking in, it was almost like, is this right play? Is this player the right fit for the, for the coach is, is, is he the right fit for the, for the program? And I think these guys have really honed in and really have dialed in their recruiting pitch to the point now where they've identified the top guys, top, top guys that they really feel fit everything that they're about. And it's not just academics. It's not just developing into a pro guy. It's being uh, the gr- a great teammate. It's uh, a guy that they can count on every day to be out there and practice and give 110%. And, you know, they, all the stuff that they, that they talk about is very cliche. I mean, in terms of you, you want them to be the best at everything. You want them to, to kill it in the classroom just as much as they kill it out in the field. And, you know, that's why I felt as soon as I kind of got a sense for how Peterson wanted to recruit the first couple of years that I thought that they would be really, um, they would be really challenging the Stanford's and the USC's and the UCLA's of the world just because they really wanted that top guy that, uh, that wasn't just there to jump to the NFL. But at the same time, Peterson made it very clear because he's had to say this many, many, many times. Because when people think of OKG, they're thinking, "Oh, okay, he's just a good guy. He's not a, he's not a, a tough guy. He's not a, you know, he's not a badass. You know, he's not a guy that's gonna, you know, knock someone's, you know, what in the dirt. You know, if there's a problem, you know, all that kind of stuff." But he's reiterated. He said flat out, "He goes, I won't recruit you if I can't put you in the NFL." I mean, it's just that simple. And so I think what they've done is they've just really. They, they put so much stock into their evaluations in their first year that they look at a kid. And, and we're not talking about the transition from junior to senior year. We're talking about when they're in ninth grade to 10th grade. Like how seriously have they taken their academics? How many school days have they missed? You know, all that stuff that like the Stanford's of the world will look at or whoever. And they've taken a look at all that stuff because they think it's all about character and they think it's all about fit. And so then when you, you take that piece and then you look at the on the field stuff in terms of what kind of athlete do they need to get, what, you know, who's going to fit that front seven that coach K wants what kind of rusher do they want? Edge guy. Do they need a bigger guy? Do they need a smaller, quicker guy? You know, there's all of those things that go into consideration as well. But I'd say more importantly, I think the reason why they've started to recruit at a higher level is because they've won. I think it's just that simple. I think when you when you show that when you're winning and not only are you winning but you're putting guys into the league and every guy that that goes into the league says nothing but amazing things about the way that they were developed and how they changed from 
going from boys to men and all that other cliche stuff, it, it almost to a person, whether you talk to a Kevin King or a Buda Baker or Sidney Jones or Elijah Qualls or, you know, in this class, it's going to be Browning. It's going to be Gaskin. It's going to be Greg Gaines. It's going to be Ben Burkirvan. It's going to be those, those defensive backs. It's going to be all. And, and, the, and the, and the thing is, it's just, it's just a set, a cycle that kind of perpetuates itself because they don't really have a ton of attrition. They want guys that when they're in that program, they're in there for life. That's why it's called built for life. And I think that's, that's the huge thing, but it really kind of builds on itself and generates its own momentum because they show that the process of getting the guys and developing them and doing all the things that they need to do and doing it the right way all the time produces the wins. It's the pro it's the process that, 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 that creates the result and not, and not trying to reverse engineer it and go, okay, we want to win games. How do we get there? They're, they're, they're looking at it completely from the inside out. They're like, we start from the inside. We start with the core. We build up the culture. We do all those things. And then if we win on the football field, that's a direct result of all the things we did right going into it. And I think that message has really resonated. And you can see it like in Hawaii, for instance, when they got the five kids, this, this last 2019 class, it's just a, it's a theme that resonates, and once people really start to understand it and get it, I think it's something that really builds on its own momentum. All right. Um, we want to get to some Twitter questions now. Uh, Ryan posted this a little bit ago, and we got a few responses. Um, most not vile, so that's good. Yay. All right. All right. So this is from uh, at jmazjd. Uh, why can't UW recruit blue chip tight ends outside of Washington, despite consistently putting lower level recruits in the NFL? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, it's, it's interesting, I think, because the, the, the evolution of the tight end position in general, I think just nationally has kind of evolved, you know, because it, it went from being that, you know, that blocking type that might go out for a little five, you know, five yard curl or something like that. To now, you know, then Vernon Davis kind of breaks the mold way back in the day. And so now all of a sudden you have to be this hybrid guy that can streak down the field and run a four six, but you have to be, four, you know, 260 pounds and and take a defensive end and, and put them on their butts. So it, it's it's interesting because I think, you know, if you look at a guy like, again, I mentioned Will Disley earlier, you know, he's a guy that, you know, they gave him the, they, they gave him the, the freedom to pick a position. They go, okay, we love you as a pure athlete, big athlete. You can run. Do you want to play defense? or You don't play offense. He picked defense to start, but now he's playing with the Seahawks playing tight end because they, they gave him the choice. But after a year, it was like, okay, you're doing okay, but we really feel like your future's on offense. And they clearly were right. Um, you know, guys like drew sample. And again, I know he mentioned, you know, in state stuff too, or, or based out of Washington because drew sample, I think is, is got a future in the, in the NFL. And I think Hunter Bryant for sure is going to be an NFL guy. And I think he's a, he's a, he's a mismatched kid. I mean, he's just a guy that's, that's going to be a, a special player, I think in the NFL because of his intangibles. But yeah, I, th I think it's interesting. You know, you look and they had a guy, Kyle Patterson from Arizona that, I think probably would have signed with Washington last year. And he had an, he had an offer from Alabama, but he had a tie in with the air force. I think his sister goes to the air force or had a connection with the family and that was too much to overcome. So yeah, th there's no doubt that uh, when looking out of state with tight ends, I think it's been tough a little bit lately, but I don't think it's, it's for a lack of trying. I mean, Isaiah Foskey was a guy that they really liked to tight end, but Notre Dame signed him as a defensive guy. 
So I think you're you're not just looking at a guy that's specifically tight end anymore. I think Washington likes those big, big at jumbo athletes who can play multiple positions on either side, and then they kind of allow the the player to kind of make up their own mind to see what they want to do. So I think there's a, a you know I think there's a chance that they could get some guys down the road. I know Mark Redmond's a guy that they like for 2020. I think uh, at least one or two of the 24/7 guys have put in crystal balls for Washington. Um, so there's a guy that that could maybe be the answer to the question that the 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 guy posed. Um, but other than that, I just think that the the position itself is is changed so much. And co- talking to Coach Jordan Powpow, the Washington tight ends coach, you know, he talked about how they've got to mix it up every year. Like one year they might be looking for a more athletic receiver type, like a bigger receiver, and then the other the other year they might be more looking for more of that traditional inline dual threat guy like a drew sample or you know like jacob kaiser is the guy they have on staff or on the team now whereas kate otten is a little bit more of a downfield receiving guy so they they have to kind of mix and match a little bit because they've been so multiple in the past and i think that also kind of rolls right into the question of of how they'll fundamentally change the offense this year if they do it all we had a tweet from howard it's at buddy de pimp I don't think he's a Washington fan, Chris. So he says, why so much preseason love for a 54% completion quitter quarterback? So I think he's talking about Jacob Eason, who was actually over 55% at, uh, I think at 120 rating, uh, quarterback rating at Georgia. Um, But what what are your thoughts about Howard's tweet there, Chris? Oh, it's it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean... I don't know. I mean, again, but he does kind of pose a question in a sense, in, in a roundabout way. But the idea is, is that Jacob Eason hasn't really played a football game for a couple of years now. I mean, so so how long is it going to take for him to 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 get ready to go? And and um, you know, one thing that 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 Washington does kind of have going for them a little bit this year is that they don't have uh, you know a monster schedule right out of the gate. They're not playing Auburn. In, in Atlanta, they're starting out with Eastern Washington. Now, I take nothing away from Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington's played at Washington twice in the last 10 or so years and has, has taken Washington to the brink in both games. So it's certainly nothing you want to fool with. But again, when you're playing an FCS team to start your season, it's a little different than going to Alabama or going to Auburn in Atlanta. Um, what's really interesting about the schedule, for instance, is that right after that, they play California like the following week. It's just bizarre to me. Because they go, they go Eastern Washington, California, Hawaii, and then they have to go to Brigham Young. So that'll be their first away game at the end of the month, at the end of September. So, and then they, and then, uh, and then USC comes to town at the, at the very end of, of September. So it's it's weird how quickly the the Pac-12 schedule just kind of really jumps on you. And uh, not exactly sure why that's been, it, but it's been kind of like that the last couple of years. They had to go to Utah, I think, third game out of the year, third game out of the block last year. But again. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, Eason is 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 intriguing. I mean, he's just intriguing for so many different for so many different reasons, and especially if you're a Washington fan that that's from the Seattle area and 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 heard all the stories about him um, out of Lake Stevens, which is just north of 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 Everett, which is just north of Seattle. So it's just you know, you 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 heard about him, you heard the folklore, and then all of a sudden he goes to Georgia, and everyone wants to know why in the hell would you ever leave or ever let the top you know, quarterback in the state ever go to an SEC team? Why couldn't he play for Washington? He clearly was good enough. Well, you know, there was a lot of things that went into that. But now that he's back and now that he's with them, I think that the expectations have obviously clearly grown over the past few years. And and um, 
how quickly he gets assimilated, all that stuff, I think will be will be everything. It'll be key, and it'll be key to see how the the last year he's been able to put it to good use in terms of just watching what Browning went through, picking his brain, and uh, and what he was able to learn. Uh, here's another one. This is from uh, Go Dogs One Twenty Four. Does Pat Hayden, former UC, USC uh, athletic director? deserve a statue outside Husky stadium. <laughs> I don't know. Does he have to share it with Lynn Swan? <laughs> I mean, I think they get dual, dual control over that statue. Okay. Well, Hayden's I, the one, you know, Hayden set him up. I, I really, I really need to defer to, to Mr. Abraham on this one. I, I, that's, I, I think that's a, I think that's that maybe he would have a better answer for than me. Oh yeah. I think Pat Hayden did uh, really, really helped out Washington when he hired away Steve Sarkeesian, opening up a path for the Huskies to hire Chris Peterson, who's been an amazing head coach uh, there. So you get rid of Sark, thanks to you to Pat Hayden, open up a spot, Chris Peterson walks in. So, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know about a statue, but, you know, maybe a little plaque or something that be, might be good. Yeah, the time the timing was fine, yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a tweet from Learning to Code, and it's like, the Twitter handle is just like a bunch of random consonants. So I don't think we're going to read that, but he says, what is the secret to playing winning football in the snow? Hashtag Washington football. Uh, I, I don't know what this means. Is this some sort of inside joke, Chris? Um, Probably an apple cup joke. I would imagine. Maybe, oh, okay. I would imagine. I think that. So, so it might, he might be a Washington state. No, fan? he's actually a Washington fan. Like he's got a picture of Chris Peterson holding up like a Rose bowl trophy and stuff. Okay. Uh, well, it's they they haven't had to play in the snow too often. I mean, obviously they did at Washington State, and um, you know, I think it's just you know, again, that would be a great question to ask a coach. To me, to me, honest with you, I think the the only key is to make sure you have the right size cleat. Yeah, that's all I would say about it. I I, I don't. I mean, obviously, we saw how much it affected Washington State in terms of running their offense. Yeah. You really got the sense that Gardner Minshew was the first time he'd ever seen snow, and I'm and I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm I'm being serious. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. But um, it does kind of go to show, you know. Just if you're not ready for it, which is a bit ironic, because if if anybody in the Pac-12 would be ready for snow, it would be Washington State or Colorado or Utah. You'd think, right? I mean, those would be the three programs you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, they should do that. I, yeah, it's, it, that's probably what it was referring to the Apple Cup. It's just sometimes when you see a game like that, and elements are changed, your schedule is different. Something's different about the game where it affects you, and like weather can do that. Sometimes one team just performs a lot better than the other, and it, was, it certainly was the case with Washington. It looked like one team was kind of ready for it, another team wasn't. I will. I will say. I will add one thing that kind of blew my mind once I saw the 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 TV copy of that game. I had obviously we weren't watch we were watching it live so we were looking down on the field when it was happening, but had no idea that Fox was able to superimpose the hash marks and the yard lines in like black, and so because because anybody that was at the game couldn't make heads or tails where the ball actually was spotted and how how far you know down in distance was absolutely it felt arbitrary at a certain point in the game. Um, but yet when you watch the copy of it on Fox, it's like, oh, wow, they superimposed all these hash marks and yard lines. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was like, yeah, what's, what's, who cares about the snow? We got, we got everything figured out right here on TV. 
so that was uh, that was phenomenal. But but watching the game and trying to figure out what was going on at the time and you know how many yards do they have to make a first? I mean, you couldn't tell. I mean, it was ah, almost impossible. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting to have been there as opposed to watching on TV. Oh, it was nuts. No, it was uh, it was it was really really difficult. I couldn't if you were a spotter in that game or if you were in the stats booth. I you you may not have had any hair left. I mean, it was to it must have been just trying. <laughs> Um, all right, we got one last one. This is from uh, Big Easy Two O Six. Is this the season we see Terrell Bynum take a bigger role in the offense? I'm really excited about his potential, and having a new wide receivers coach could reinvigorate him. Also, any news on the new Adidas Unis? Okay, well, first things first. I, I, those are good questions. I'm the our our uh, intern extraordinaire, Luke Munger, who is. Is it will be departing after this spring because he will have graduated, unfortunately for us. Because we we would you want to talk about guys coming back for fifth years and stuff? He would have been our he would have <laughs> been our Jake Browning. You know, it'd been perfect. <laughs> um, but uh, he put out a, a quick thing this morning about five guys that really impressed him after the combine, the Husky combine that he went to, and he mentioned Terrell Bynum as one of the guys. And you know, there is a there is a spot. There is no question that there's a spot there um, that's waiting to be taken. Um, you know, we talk about all of the production that, you know, Jake Browning leaves behind. Um, there's only about 10% that Washington left in terms of the seniors and whatnot, in terms of receivers, there's all sorts of production that's waiting for there, uh, in terms of Aaron Fuller, Andre Bocelli, Ty Jones. And then you look at some of the freshman guys like Marcus Spiker, Austin Osborne, Trey Lowe, uh, Jordan Chin is another guy that could do big things, but you know, seriously, a, a guy like Terrell Bynum, you know, especially with Alex Cook moving to defense now, he, you know, he kind of becomes the guy in that class uh, that really needs to step up. And I think there's a good chance. I mean, Luke was real high on him after the combine, said he, he looked really good, uh, ran really well, um, you know, did really well in terms of the quickness drills. I think he, um, if I remember correctly, he had a, a sub four 20 uh, yard shuttle, pro shuttle agility, uh, which is anything under four is flying. Um, so he did a really good job there. He was sub five, sub four, five in the 40. Um, so that's strong as well. So he has the physical ability to get it done. Now it's just a matter of, can he take that other piece on the field to the point where he understands the playbook so that he's not thinking about it so much? He, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta go out and play. And he's at that point right now in his development, he should be able to just go out and play and, um, they need they need pieces there for sure because again Fuller, Bacelli, Ty Jones, those guys have all shown that they can be the guy here and there and again, but they haven't you know they haven't found their their Dante Pettis yet. They haven't found their John Ross yet. They haven't found some of these other big time receivers they've had in the past. And um, you know, do I think Terrell Bynum could be one of those guys? I'm I'm not there yet, but um, you know, there's certainly a spot that's there for him if he wants to take it. Uh, as far as the Adidas deal, I believe, if I remember correctly, the details of that, I think the contract goes into effect either June 1st or July 1st of this year. So it's basically, yeah, Nike will be gone. Um, like I assume after spring ball will be the, this will be the last time you'll ever see Nike on a, on a, on a UW football Jersey for the time for the, for, for the foreseeable future, um, starting this fall. Yeah. It'll definitely be all Adidas. So, um, yeah, it should be really interesting to see what happens. I haven't really seen any mocks or anything like that, but I have a feeling that th that kind of stuff will, will be un un unveiled in due course. All right. 
Uh, we got to talk a lot of washing today with uh, Chris Fetters from dogman.com. Follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Fetters. And since I forgot to play this at the top, of course, we were talking about Washington Huskies. <laughs> Love the barking and stuff there. Uh, Chris, thanks again for coming on. It was great stuff. No, oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks, Chris. All right, great stuff uh, from Chris. I want to talk about Mac Weldon now, our sponsor. Mac Weldon's mission is simple to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. And they'll still refund you, no questions asked. I love the socks and underwear that I bought from Mack Weldon. And the shopping experience was extremely easy. You go to the website, very intuitive, and it's really easy to check out and put what you want in there. I also just put another order in. So I'm waiting, David, this week to get them back. So the Ace and uh, Radius sweatpants, uh, which are new, uh, I'm going to check those out. So I ordered some of those. I'll let you know how those go. I'm doing more workouts now, Dave. So I wanted to get some, some new sweatpants to go to the gym in. For our podcast of champions listeners, we have a very special offer here for Mac Weldon. Get 20% off your first order of Mac Weldon's men's essentials at MacWeldon.com when you enter promo code POC at checkout. That's promo code POC at MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off your first order. Dave, I gotta let you know how the sweatpants turn out. So I'm gonna I'm checking. Yeah. Out. I'm I'm excited to hear about the sweatpants. Um that was a great uh, first and only read of that ad. Um, I thought you nailed it from start to finish on your first try. Um, and it was great. Thanks, I enjoyed man. listening to it. Thanks, man. We got, we got some interesting, uh, we got some interesting stuff coming up soon, uh, sponsor wise, but we do appreciate Mac. Well, they've been with us for a while and I love my Mac Weldon stuff. So, uh, thanks to them. And, uh, yeah, they, you get in the gym much lately or are you just chasing your kids around? What's going on with you? Uh, I, I, I get in the gym to get away from my children. Oh, nice. Um, uh, yeah. To deposit them at the local YMCA. And then I, uh, I just sit and cry away from them for a while. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, no, other than that, it's just a lot of stress and, uh, that's, that's, that's life. It's great. Um, we got a lot to talk about Ryan. Yes. We got a lot to talk about with the FBI scandal that happened. Oh, uh, there was that thing. Week. Yeah. Yes. Um, many Pac-12 schools implicated in this. Some more than others, one might say. Certainly. Some, some may have had to hire to may, may have had to fire multiple people on campus. Yes. Others, maybe only one or two. Who knows? Uh, I'm speaking, of course, of UCLA, USC, Stanford. Has anyone else? I don't think anyone else has gotten the uh, the paintbrush the, brushed with this paintbrush yet. I don't think on, so. Pac-12. Like- you got like Georgetown and Yale, you know, stuff like that. You, you, St- Stanford was perfect though. Stanford was perfect because it was the sailing coach. Right. Did you know that they had sailing? Yeah. I, they, that's just one of the dirtiest programs I've heard, you know, like the sailing <laughs> programs. <laughs> no, I've, no, I had no idea that was a sailing thing. Like that. I didn't know that was a thing. Like I know crew. they're doing it. Um, y- yeah. Yeah, and uh, UCLA got dinged. Men's soccer coach uh, Jorge Salcedo was uh, taking bribes to get people into not only men's soccer, but also women's soccer. So it'll be interesting to see if that one shakes out oddly, because it seems like it might take more than just the men's soccer coach to get somebody onto the girls' soccer team. But we'll see. Um, 
And then uh, USC. USC had a lot going on here. Oh yeah, they were they were they were really involved. So that USC is the only school. There's been two FBI investigations. The only school that's been in both. So that's cool. Like the basketball one and this admissions one. Um, and they also have just the out there doing crimes. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> just three, three. So Lin Swan, the athletic director, has had three of his employees fired, like fired and arrested by the FBI, not fired by the FBI, arrested by the FBI. So that's, uh, that's something, you know, that you got that going for you. Um, but they're the only school also, David, that had an athletic administrator uh, involved. So basically she's like the number three, Donna Heinel was the number three person in the athletic department. She used overs- oversaw all of the women's sports and apparently, and, and Lin Swan doesn't do uh, any media basically, but he did talk to Arash Markazi from the LA Times uh, in Los Angeles, I mean, Los, in Las Vegas uh, at the Pac-12 basketball tournament that USC was in there for a little bit. Uh, then they were out. But uh, he talked to Arash Markazi, the only interview he did. Um, and he, he basically said that they were blindsided and that Donna Heinel had uh, basically no oversight. Like she was the person... If you needed to try to get a uh, an athlete into school through the subcommittee, because like basically the whole scam is, if you're a regular student, so like if David and I are a regular student, we apply to UCLA or Stanford or USC, whatever it is, um, we would go into that regular student pool. But if we were an athlete, and they would bring you in front of like a subcommittee, that you would it'd be a little bit easier to get in, and that's what all these rich kids did is they they became fake athletes and go through. So she was basically. She could, because of her position, it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to get some people on the sailing team for UCLA. We're going to get some people on the men's or women's soccer teams. She could pick the sport and like basically the coach wouldn't have to know about it. She could get them to the committee, tell them that this person is an athlete for whatever reasons, and then she would have to try to squash it afterwards. So it made it a broader scandal, I guess you could say, because there was more people you could get in because it wasn't just through one coach. So uh, Rick Singer, the guy, the orchestrator of this, the dude in uh, Newport Beach who ended up cutting some kind of deal apparently with the FBI, he found a ringer in her because she had a, a, the ability to get people in through multiple sports. So I think that's that's kind of what made the USC angle unique in this one, Dave. Yeah, USC, the land of opportunity. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, this is the most like not quite rich enough ass crime ever. Yes. Like, because it's just, and honestly, I mean, like some of these schools that I'm hearing about, like it's you don't even have to pay that much money through official channels to get your kid in. Like get your dumb kid in by paying like five hundred thousand dollars to the school. Yeah, they'll get his ass in whatever. But you're paying it to like some middleman. So it's like it's not it's it's two things. It's a subset of people who have a money, but not quite enough to buy a building and dumber than shit. Like, just so dumb um, because they don't know that we could just eliminate the middleman here and you could just make a substantial donation to the school. I mean, somebody spent $6.3 million to get their kid in somewhere. Like, wow. If you're doing that and you're also doing a crime, that's not great. No. Like, pay that money, but just pay it to the school. You know, endow something. They'll let your kid in, especially a private institution. Like, this is so dumb. And so that leads into my other thought, which is that's all bad, too. I mean, the, the reason this is a scandal I, and for me 
is the ones who took advantage of accommodations and testing. I think that is, yeah. you know, that's the thing that's, that actually has some potential harm that comes out of it. But otherwise it's, it, it's basically the same function as somebody making a big donation to a private school and getting their dumb kid in. I mean, it's the same bad thing going on. It's just who the money's landing with, um, to, to get their, their dumb kid in. Well, um, there was fake charities too, so they were writing off the bribes. So yeah, there's a whole lot of tax fraud going yeah. on. But I mean, when you're donating, private classifies itself as a nonprofit. There's a whole lot of tax fraud going on. It's just sanctioned. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's it's all like this is, it's all of a piece. It's just what we've decided to be, what bribery we've decided to be comfortable with, and what bribery we're not comfortable with. Right. And apparently, this kind of individual level bribery is what we're not comfortable with, which is fine. We can draw our lines where we want to draw them, um, but man, this was crazy. This was crazy to develop, watch develop. I mean, it the was whole, everywhere. It was on CNN. It wasn't just, it was everywhere. You're like, whoa. Like, you know, you could turn on daytime talk shows with, uh, you know, blonde talking heads and stuff. And they were talking about this, like nothing to do with sports. Like it was ever because of the celebrity aspect of it too, with Felicity Huffman, Huffman and Lori Loughlin, like they're, you know, people that you know from television, when they're involved, now it's involving everybody. It's on TMZ, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 truly stunning stuff when it's like broken through into like just mainstream media. Um, but yeah, no, this is, I mean, this is, I think, a bigger story than the FBI basketball stuff a year ago. Like this is, this I think is, it's just kind of, this I think. It's yeah. been a it's been a ton of fun this week. Um, uh, what do you stand on the kids? Do you think the kids should be kicked out of school? Um, yeah, I th- kind of do. I was just like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that I, I think they're going to be embarrassed anyway. And you 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 know what I really feel bad for is the kids that didn't know. Um, there were kids that didn't know. I don't know what the percentage was, but I think one kid was like supposed to be a pole vaulter, and he was in a, he's a meeting with. I think this was at USC. He was meeting with the counselor. And, or, you know, the admissions counselor or something like that. And they're like, oh, you're on the track team. And the, the kid's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but, but they, you know, in his, his transcript or whatever, they put that on there. So, like, he didn't know. Um, so, I feel bad for that. Like, if you didn't know, if the kid wasn't involved, then maybe let him stay. But if they were involved in it, then I think get him out of there. And I think some of the people are going to weed themselves out anyway. but Or just leave because they're going to be embarrassed. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, do I think, don't know. Do you kick him out or I, not? I'm I'm ambivalent. I could go either way on it. It's tough. Um, I think some of them probably, yeah, they did get in through illegitimate means. But there's a lot of people who get into school through illegitimate means, as we just talked about. You know, yeah. What like the weird? Did the, the kid perform the criminal function? And if he didn't or she didn't, then I just I don't know. I I, I would probably err on the side of just letting them stay. Um, I think you're doing more harm than by by kicking them out. Um, but it's not great. Um, it's it's obviously it's a big problem, and I mean, what we're all there, there's a whole lot of ways that guys and, and and gals get into school illegitimately. It's not just pure bribery. Um, sometimes there'll be glad handing that goes on through the preferred walk on method. Basically the same thing, except there's no money changing hands. But right. to take care of somebody, they'll get them into a preferred walk on spot. Um, you know, you'll see that often with maybe a legacy or two um, who just get in uh, who, who couldn't pass through regular admission. So they get in through an athletic team. Um, 
And those are illegitimate students too, right? If they don't have the athletic skill to play that sport, but they're getting pulled on through um, being a preferred walk-on, and that happens at a lot of schools, well, they're an illegitimate student too. So where do we draw the line on all of that? Just because money changed hands um, and a a crime is actually committed to get them in? Um, (laughs) So I don't know. It's it's a tough thing for me. I hate blaming kids for – what is almost certainly the parents' decision. Um, so I'd probably be inclined to keep them in, but I can definitely see the argument to not. And to set an example for other people to never do this again, um, because it's, you know, uh, it's a lot of potential money for somebody who has, you know, not too many ethical guidelines. So you, you probably do need to apply some serious disincentives to keep this from happening. And maybe there will be criminal sentences here, but kicking the kicking the kids out of school when it's found out would also be a disincentive. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah. I got two questions for you. Cause we, you know, you know, we'll have different uh, views on things, but one, like if you're running a school and you need a building and some rich alum is going to donate, give you a whole bunch of money to build your building that you need, which is good, but you know that you're going to probably have to get his kid in in a year or something like that. And maybe, you know, whatever, the, you know, if it's a complete dum-dum, then, you know, maybe that's a different question. But if it's a, you know, decent student, there's a lot of good students out there that aren't getting into schools because it's so competitive now. Where do you stand on that? You're like, yeah, our school is getting a building. It's probably worth putting one spot. Uh, you're If you're running it as a business, you're like, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we need a building. This guy's going to give us a building. And we put a, a student in who's maybe would have got rejected, but is still a pretty good student. Like, where do you stand on that? Within the frame of like reality where we are currently living, like, yeah, obviously, because that's the system. But I mean, I I would I would then ask, well, where do we draw the line with that? At what point at what point does a parent's wealth continue to confer privilege upon their kid? Right. Like, at what point are we going to allow the children of wealth, the children of people who have made a ton of money and who have, you know, proven their merit or at least their, you know, their their villainy in acquiring so much wealth. Um, at what point do we not allow that to pass down to the kids who may or may not even have whatever meritorious qualities the person initially had to acquire that wealth? Um, and that's what we do when, you know, somebody buys a $25 million building at Harvard or, or puts together a $100 billion endowment or whatever they do, um, is you then put somebody who's maybe not deserving, who d- hasn't you know, really shown any merit whatsoever into the institute. As we've seen over the years, the outcomes out of a Harvard or a Yale or a Stanford, they're different from the outcomes out of a San Diego state or an Arizona state or an Arizona. These are just the truths of the matter. So it's something we have to reckon with. Um, And I think in a world where private institutions do um, have that, um, cachet, um, I think in hiring, um, in a lot of industries, you really do. I think you need to have some firm regulations about this stuff. I think they do need to do a better job of regulating that stuff. But, um, within the bounds of reality, if you're the school, I mean, you've got to get your money somehow because that's the way we work right now. Yeah. And then one, the other one that's kind of weird, and we're still trying to get details on this, but, uh, so USC, one of the coaches that was the coach that got fired, uh, Jovan Vavik, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, but he's he coaches the women's and the men's USC water polo teams, and they basically win the national championship like every other year. He's won 16 national championships while he has been at USC, um, so really successful coach. I 
from some of the stuff I heard, like he doesn't get a whole lot of budget, you know, even though he's a very successful coach. He, uh, according to the court documents, $250,000 that he funneled back into the program. So I, I think it was to pay assistant coaches. So he kind of got some guys in to the program to help pay his assistant coaches. And what I was told is I, I've still got to double check on this, but one of them was actually like a real walk on and, and made the team. So that's even not, that's not really like he might've paid to get down there, but he actually made the team. What do you think about something like that? Like you're trying to help if you're a non-revenue sport and you're trying to do something to help your, your program, not personal gain, it's more helping your program. Where do you stand on that? I mean, I think it's still the same ethical problem, which is that you're letting somebody into school um, uh, who, who hasn't who hasn't fulfilled the requirements to get into school. Now, I think there is some nuance here, and this maybe goes back to the larger question about what you do with the kids. If they did end up, if they're a student in good standing, and they did end up participating on whatever you know team that they played on, because honestly, being a walk on. A huge part of that is just keeping your grades up. Like yeah. that's that's one of the biggest services you can provide the team. Um, if they did that, if they put in a couple of years of service doing that stuff, then I really would. But for the coaches, I mean, it's just a question of whether, like, you know, how much do you prioritize ethics and all this stuff? Um, because it's 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 unethical. I mean, those preferred walk-on spots, if you were basing them on pure merit, it would be based on their athletic ability combined with their grades. And you would be getting in maybe some marginal guys who aren't scholarship players, but they are pretty good and they could maybe, you know, turn into a guy by their third or fourth year um, who maybe don't have the grades, but you're you're basing that off of a athletic skill. That's the whole that's the whole reason that loophole exists is to prioritize guys who guys or girls who um, don't have uh, necessarily the grades, but have some athletic ability. Um, so when you, when you make that just again, another thing based on how much money their parents have, um, well, it just, it, it doesn't create a, uh, it doesn't create a great situation no. in the long term. Um, well, should we jump into questions? We should, let's do it. All right. Um, think, so where did we leave off? I think Shane is first. We didn't earn Toy Story. That's okay. Yes. Yes. Dude, how many are, like, are we like the, the the Disney Princess podcast now? Like, is that all we are? I think what we've found, what we have discovered, is that um, in inside of every college football fan is a big uh, Disney fan just waiting to break out. Mm. That, like, that, uh, it's a whole new world. No. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like subject has ever sparked this many emails besides it's Disney's. it's incredible. I think that they all are like, oh, I, I see like minds now. And they've just they've brought they've brought their weird out anyway. All right. Here's Shane. We didn't earn Toy Story is the subject line. Ryan and David David last week's Disney princess conversation sent me spiraling into oblivion. I appreciate the true 50 that stay with us for the second and third hour. Since I only write in every few weeks when something really important happens, here it is. A definitive comparison of Pac-12 programs and Pixar movies that nobody asked for. There are 13 Pixar story concepts at this point. Nobody gets to be Toy Story. Nobody has earned Toy Story. <laughs> All right. In the South, Arizona is Monsters, Inc. It was really great in 1998. Occasionally, they'll jump up and scare someone, but mostly they're harmless middle-of-the-road schlobs trying to get through their workday. I'll accept that. Okay. 
ASU is inside out. Everything is operating as normal. A major change is made. Eventually, joy will be sucked out into a vast open expanse, leaving only anger, fear, and disgust. And for some reason, there's a subplot that involves amateur ice hockey. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Inside Uh, Out. Damn it. Oh, God. It's so good. That's so perfect. Um, Colorado is a bug's life. We remember it as really good at one point in the 90s, but when you go back and revisit, it doesn't hold up. One loss, one tie, one win on a fifth down. It just happens to be the better of the flawed animated features about bugs that particular year. The other one was ants with a Z. Uh, hey, you know what kids will probably love? An allegory about communism starring Woody Allen as an ant. Cha-ching. <laughs> I remember uh, that when that came out. There was like two movies that came out about ants like within a month of each other or something stupid like that. Yep, very much so. All weird. right, UCLA is up. Oh, God. If you're paying attention, you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> For 10 minutes of up. Uh, this is a big old beautiful house full of passion and dreams 50 years ago now being carried around by a colorful balloon do we have a strategy just follow the wind that's our strategy now also largely a gloveless movie nice (laughs) usc is ratatouille uh, a well-respected traditional institution serving up big time success because they're cooking with only the highest quality ingredients but under the hood but under the hood there's a mouse pulling strings (laughs) Like, how much better could you be if you hired an actual shot? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Utah is the good dinosaur, which is the name of a movie that exists. And if nothing else, seems like an easy way to introduce the concept of evolution in an earth that existed before Christ in the state of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Shane's wow. bringing it. Shane's <laughs> bringing it. And that was just the South. All right, North. Cal is finding Nemo. Everything is underwater. And at some point, they ended up in Australia for some reason. <laughs> Oregon is the Incredibles, super speed, super strength. They look really good in their stylish mashing mashing costumes. But at the end of the day, it's the emptiest, most derivative of all the stories. The most interesting character in the story is an evil mastermind who owns his own island and has programmed a team of evil robots to kill for him. Oh, and another plot line about costume design. Nice. Oregon State is Wally, just a big, sad pile of garbage. That's a harsh Wally take, and I'm gonna fight you for it. Wally's that was a pretty good Dang. movie, I, from what I remember. Like it's like a heartfelt, you know, you, you feel for this little. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was silent. It was a silent film for a while there. It was yeah, great. Stanford is brave, intelligent, brute, progressive, dominant at an obsolete Olympic sport, notably pale, and nobody watched it. <laughs> UW is cars. It can be exhilarating and fun at times, but every time you sit down to watch it, you remember the middle hours spent reminding you about a bygone history you don't care about. Nobody else gives a shit how many piston cups you won in 1991. <laughs> Tell me again how good you used to be. <laughs> and Shane is a UW fan, I believe. So that's 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 pretty great. Uh, Washington State is Coco. Generally sad and persistently begging you to remember, remember. me. All right. <laughs> And uh, question, most overhyped and overlooked factor when judging a college quarterback's performance, asking for a friend. Oh, Keep nice. up the work, your friend and compatriot, Shane. Most overhyped and overlooked factor. Um, when judging performance or when judging a quarterback as a prospect? I, Let's do both. Okay. Um, they perform advantage. So what? Wait, was it say that again? I would say for performance completion percentage, right? It doesn't touch a whole lot. No, I think you look at the quarterbacks that are like prolific runners in college. They'll have high 
completion percentages because you're trying to stop them from running and then they have guys wide open. So I, I do feel like they can be very efficient and not be as a prospect, not really good at the next level. I would say maybe for completion percentage, it can be dispositive. Like if you're in the low fifties, you're probably like, you're probably bad. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think like a 64% plus necessarily is an indicator because um, it so much depends on the offense. Like if you're a Mike Leach quarterback, you're going to, you're going to complete like 75% of your passes, no matter what, True. like yeah. you, you could be out there and complete like 70, right? Like it's just whatever. Um, so that's, that's probably my most overhyped for performance. Um, when I'm judging, a a, a, a body, like, uh, evaluating quarterback, I would actually say height is, is up there in, um, but it's it's kind of a cop out thing. I think length and hand size do matter a lot, um, but it gets I think shorthanded as height, or maybe they all see these big dudes and they're like, oh, they've got to be that tall. But I think it's more just height tends to correlate to arm length and, and hand size, and so people think, oh, okay, then it, they need to be tall. But I, I don't think the height thing actually matters that much. I think if you're five ten, but you've got kind of you know weird long strong arms and big hands, it's not there's nothing that you're really at a disadvantage at because frankly, unless you're like six, six, you're mostly looking through your offensive linemen when you're throwing the ball, you're not, you're not standing over them. They're all six, four, six, five. Yeah. Um, you got to find those windows and the you got to find your windows. Yeah. And I think too, when you're talking, there's different arm angles that you can throw out of. So if you're a, if you're you could have a six, four quarterback who's throwing it mostly sidearm, who's basically, his his high point, if you look at you know when he's delivering the football, is lower than maybe like a. I'm not saying Kyler Murray has a high delivery, you know whatever, but like you could have a five ten guy who's really coming over the top and he's he's letting the ball you know off at a higher uh, you know area than some guy that's taller that's coming from the side or something like that. So um, you can that can all change and you know how long your arms are, but I think hand size is important too, just for ball security. Um, I think that's a big deal. And it, they seem to throw, when you get those bigger hands, it just seems to be able to, you can spin the ball easier and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good stuff there. That was a great email from Shane. We got, uh, Mike in Oakland, extra spring workouts. Uh, hi Ryan and Dave. I was thinking of asking Ryan to comment on how a two-star undersized recruit with only one power five offer, Andre Dillard could make it to be a, pro- a projected first round draft pick, but that is, not interesting because we all know the answer. Something about uh, SUC can draw all five stars and even blind squirrels uh, get a nut. I'm not, do you know what he's saying there? No. Not, okay. I'm not sure, Mike. Um, <laughs> is this, so blind squirrel, five, if this is a stars don't matter thing because you find one guy that was two star and he became an all pro like that, that's fine. But that's, that's a, that's the exception. We, we go over this many, many times. So, um, and yes, we we've seen programs like Washington. Chris Peterson can take two stars and make them into NFL guys, and he can make five stars better. Um, he's you know, there's just coaches that are really good at that. Chris Peterson's one of them. Uh, now, my question is about extra coached workouts. Washington State holds two a two week circuit training session called Midnight Maneuvers, where they really push players to test their physical and mental abilities and help them bond as a team. I know this is something that might. Leach brought with him from Texas Tech. Do other programs have something similar? What are the general rules around these kinds of workouts? Always amazed how you guys can stretch out a podcast for two hours, but it feels more like an hour. Thanks and go Cougs. Mike in Oakland. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, so my understanding is there's 
the strength and conditioning program, those coaches during the offseason can see the players much more than the coaches. But there are workouts that the, you know, on-field workouts that the coaches are allowed to go to where there's no footballs involved, but they can do different kind of things. And maybe this is, is this part of this. So uh, like the, the practices, I know USC was doing workouts uh, on the field. They'll do some, you know, gym stuff and then, the, you know, in the, in the weight room and then they'll go out to the field and the coaches can kind of be out there going through different drills, but they don't, there's no practice. It's not a practice because there's no footballs. Um, so this might be, this might fall into that category. I don't remember, I, I don't remember USC or other schools doing something called, you know, midnight maneuvers. That might be something unique. Uh, that he brought over from Texas Tech. I don't know if you've heard of that, Dave, but there's there's certain rules where coaches can go to these these kind of workouts. Like, they can't go to everyone that the, the the strength coaches are holding, like the on field like agility and speed drills and things like that. And they can't have footballs, um, but they can go out there and be part of some of these workouts. So Mike Leach is probably using some of those allotted workouts to these uh, midnight maneuvers he's talking about. Yeah, basically, I, I, my my read on it is that it's essentially their winter conditioning stuff, um, but they do it for two weeks, basically at night. They start at 10, and then I think they go till a little past midnight, and they're going pretty hard. Um, most uh, most winter workouts I've ever heard about, like, it's it's harder than anything they're doing in season. Like, they're, they're I mean... If you're if you're going to get rhabdo, it's in the off season. Uh, you know when the, when the strength coaches are deciding that they are uh, actually sadists. That's that's usually in the off season, um, and they run these guys into the ground quite a bit and try to build up their mental toughness and all that kind of garbage. Um, so I, I'm sure that's sort of the deal here. Um, it's midnight maneuvers a while back, and I, I, that's the sense I got from it was that it was. More or less like a very strenuous winter conditioning, just but it was for two weeks, more or less in the evening, like very late at night, um, which provides its own kind of mental challenge for guys, you know, being up that late, having to work really hard. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's cool. Um, I, I think you uh, a lot of these different programs have different gimmicks. I know UCLA a couple of years went out with the Navy SEALs and did some stuff with them before uh, I think the start of fall camp that was. Um, and I think how you use your days and how you use your time. I think there's some wiggle room there. Um, but yeah, my understanding of all the winter conditioning stuff is that it's mostly run by the strength coaches. So the head coach can kind of direct what happens, but they're not um, really there doing a whole lot. All right. Uh, thanks for that question. All righty. We've got uh, seed. Uh, we've got uh, Chris from soul. True or false? Blessedly, no Disney princess questions. Cutting to the chase, true or false? Soul City has more Starbucks and coffee shops in general per capita than New York City. I'm going to guess true. If it was just Starbucks, I would have definitely Seems said true. true. Yeah, but I would guess true. Yeah. I don't think you'd ask if it wasn't US, true. That's right. And he's a, he's, he's, he's in Seoul. Yeah. So I would feel like that's a factoid just for us to know. All right, USC cannot be subject to NCAA athletic program penalties because having Clay Helton is considered punishment enough. See last year's bull ban <laughs> and outgoing transfers, reducing their number of athletes on scholarship. Very true, yes. Very true. Um, if you look at end-of-season final AP rankings, Chris Peterson's Washington performance is equivalent to his Boise State performance. Sorry, dreamers of CFB berths, uh, playoff berths, Boise State proves to be Peterson's ceiling regardless of any budget, recruiting, and facilities advantages. Um, false. False, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dude went like 13 or 14 and 0 at Boise State one year. So if that happened at Washington, they would, 
they would win a national title. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oregon dodged a bullet when Willie Taggart entered the transfer portal and went to Florida State. He loses his Florida State gig and never is a Power Five Ooh. head coach again. I'm going to go true. What do you think? True first part, false second part. I don't think you go from losing the Florida State netting a head coach again at the Power Five level. True. Like, I think, I think that's pretty high. You'll fall and you'll hit something else on your way down. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cal Bears go for an air raid offensive coordinator after a disappointing 2019 season. Unlike USC, it works for the Bears. Probably false. Um, I, I I think Justin Wilcox is still going to be around there. I don't think he's going to run that kind of offense while he's there. So I'd say false. I agree. False. Chip Kelly, despite his recruiting enthusiasm, he is the anti-Cristobal, will channel his inner Roberto Duran and say no mas before finishing his contracted UCLA tenure. He passes up millions he could have made, bringing in questionable long snappers with rich parents. False. False. I think he's. I think he wants to win there. I think he's changing a little bit. Do you think he's changing? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Mike Leach stays many more years in Pullman and eventually retires as the Pac-12's Ooh. all-time winningest coach. All right. Terry Donahue finished with how many wins? He's the all-time winningest, right? I believe so. I think he still is. Um, how many? Oh, God. It's hard to calculate conference wins. Okay. 150, is that right? No. That, okay. So his conference record is 98 wins. Okay. So Mike Leach, uh, let's look. Now Leach is so going to get more opportunities. He gets to play an extra conference game. That's right. So he's at 33. Oh, wow. So there's no chance. Yeah, that's not happening. False. He, he's at 33 and he's 58. What about overall record? What? Um, um, I mean, winning is can also mean winning percentage, but even then, no, yeah, no, so. we're talking it has to have the most. I think he means the most wins. Well, even still, he's at 49. Like he'd need to get all the way to 151 to get to Terry. And I don't even know if Terry's number one still. I would think he is. That's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. So I say false on that. He's not going to be false. false, false. Yeah. Very false. Um, Herm Edwards wins Pac-12 coach of the year once before he leaves Ooh. the ASU job. I think I'm going to go false. Yeah, false. Uh, but uh, he could. I mean, without winning the the South, he could still do it. Just by, but he had a pretty good season this last, you know, last year. So finishing second, he, he'd kind of have to win the South, I think, to win it, which he can do. But, yep. But yep. I, I don't think he's going to. Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate does not finish the 2019 season at Arizona, but neither does Noel Mazzoni. False. false. Yeah, I think I think he's going to. I think they'll both be there. Multi-part true-false questions are kind of difficult. Um, Within the next five years, and despite cultural fit concerns, BYU replaces Oregon State in the Pac-12, and the Beavers join the Mountain West. False. False. Colorado jumps back to the Big 12 around 2024, alternatively replaces Rutgers in the Big 10. False. False, false. The vast majority of Pac-12 football fans find it really difficult to say something interesting or amusing about Utah or Stanford. True. Do you think they find it difficult? I mean, I can say, but I only have like one thing to say about Stanford and it's the same thing everyone says. Yeah. Right. Right. No, I would say, because they just kind of, they just have good coaching. They just kind of do it their way and it works a lot. So yeah. Okay. I'll go with you on that. Yeah. 
All right, we've all been fearing the wrong thing. Larry Scott does not engineer a contract extension. He jumps ship to a pro sports league just before it becomes obvious his TV rights and negotiation strategies. I think that would actually... So uh, I think you cut out there. Before the uh, TV rights negotiation strategy is going to unravel, I'd say... uh, I think he wants to be around as long as possible. I don't think he's jumping ship. Okay. What, What do you think? Sure. These there's so many here, Chris. Yeah. Next time, okay, limit the true falls to like eight tops or five. Five's good too. All right, Pac-12 basketball suffers several more years of poor play as UCLA and Arizona fail to recapture their past glory. Uh, I, I kind of stopped listening after basketball, so yeah, yeah, it's false. By the way, the correct answer to the coffee question is Seoul has more Starbucks than NYC. Great, thank you, Chris. All right. We got a recurring question uh, from Scott in Washington. Uh, a couple of shows back, you did a breakdown of which of what each program in the conference compares to versus Disney princesses. Man, we're coming back to this again. We're often the heroes. So I thought it'd be only fair to go and play the other side of the spectrum and use the villains. Do we really have to go here? Okay, but not the characters from uh, not the characters in the mouse house. Oh no, that would be too easy. Uh, this one would be from all of Donald Trump's circle of friends and acquaintances who have ran into some sort of legal trouble. Just kidding. No one wants to hear that either. Okay, good. Now for my question. It's like, you want to go down Disney princess world and then political world? Like this, this sounds like a disaster. Now for my question. Can each of you pick players you saw play in high school, seven on seven tourneys, camps, et cetera, where after seeing them in person and talking to people, you know, slash trust and evaluating them, you thought they were a can't miss. Conversely, Kids you watched and talked to people about where your opinion of them was okay, fine, nice, but nothing special that ended up doing great things in college. Thanks for the shows every week. And we are less than five months until the start of fall camp. Go dogs, Scott in Washington. Oh boy. Put us on the spot here. Okay. So I've got an easy answer for the second one, which is uh, Jay on Brown, where I was like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. I guess he's a take as like a special teams guy. And then uh, he ended up basically taking over for Eric Kendricks and Miles Jack and doing like completely fine and is now like an NFL player who's doing great things. So that would be that one. All right. Do you have one for that? Let me see. Um, I think, you know, maybe like a, a Yuchana and Wusu who was like a, a late ad by USC from Narbonne High School, three star safety. Um, that when I was asking about there were some people thought there was some good upside there and he ended up, you know, really developing at USC and playing outside linebacker and defending a lot of passes and stuff and ended up being a second round draft pick. So someone was like, yeah, I mean, they, people thought he was okay. He was a late ad, um, and doing well. I think even like a Deontay Burnett where, uh, he was a Washington state commit and USC flipped him at the last second. I remember seeing him at Sarah high school going, dude, that guy's good. And like, oh, he's going to Washington State. I'm like, I don't know, man. He looks like a, you know, he could go anywhere. And he ended up having a really nice uh, college career at USC once they finally got him playing. I think there's a lot of kind of examples like that. You're like, oh, that guy might be all right. And then turns into something better than you think. Yeah. And then on the can't miss side, I assume you mean like a can't miss who then turned out to be a, yes, yes, absolutely can miss. Um, Ellis McCarthy, maybe. Oh, yeah. He was. Uh, oh, he was a five star. You know, heard good things, saw good things, and then he uh, didn't do anything. He's CLA. Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot. I, mean, I think we've gone over a lot of USC five star busts because they've had a lot of them. Um, just because they had a lot of five stars, you get more busts. I think Dylan Baxter is one that I did think, like, man, I think this guy can be really good. He had some awesome spring practices, but just never could get it together. I think he would like get kicked out for drugs at, at he, when he transferred to San Diego State. Like, he just never put it together. But he was a dude I think had the talent to do it, but just didn't have the other stuff. Yeah, I would go there. Cool. There's Disney in the subject of the next one too, David. You ready? Yeah, I guess. This is from Bill V. Non-revenue sports and Disney villains. Guys, in the unlikely event you read questions in advance of having your Washington State preview guest on, I'm curious about what Washington State might do with the 21.7. Can we stick a pin in this one? Yeah, we maybe we should. For uh, okay, will we remember it? Uh, no. Here, I'll I'll actually put a link in our. We'll try to do Washington State next week. Yeah, I'll put and I'll put the link in there, so we will try to remember this question. Okay, we'll do this one. All right, so Bill, hang, and we'll do when we come back. All right, uh, I'll ask Kathleen days then. Okay. All right, Letterman. Uh, last year, I asked you guys for your thoughts on Noel Mazzoni, and at that time, David said he had an easy-to-install system that declines in effectiveness over time as opponents figure it out and uses obstinacy against him. And this pattern might be accelerated at Arizona because Pac-12 teams now have so much film on him from his time at ASU and UCLA. As you discussed with Jason Shear last week, it's tough to tease out what exactly was going on with the Wildcats because of Khalil Tate's injury and insistence on being a passer first rather than a runner. But I wonder if you saw anything that you can isolate to Mazzoni last year and if for whatever reason Tate isn't available, how the offense might go. Um, It's tough um, because Mazzoni definitely does have the insistence of, um, you know, throwers being throwers, but... Brett Hundley ran a lot um, with Noel Mazzoni and Brett Hundley uh, was never as explosive as Khalil Tate. Um, so I don't know how much I would in, even pin on Mazzoni for that. Um, I think that was almost certainly Tate. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would say that I wouldn't even pin that much on Mazzoni um, from a scheme standpoint. I don't know. I mean, there was there was the usual diet of swing passes, but he's kind of lost that a little bit. Um, he likes to show throw a lot of a lot of short routes um, and uh, just kind of dink and dunk. And I don't even know if that's Khalil Tate's strength. He's more of a deep thrower, and and Mazzoni's deeper stuff is just it's kind of basic. Um, he's got like really only a couple of deep routes that he uses. Um, he'll often start a game with a bomb just to see if it'll work out. Um, but for the most part, he likes to keep things in the intermediate to short area. Um, and I don't know if that's Tate's strength. So I I think there's a lot about the scheme. That's not Tate's strength. And then combine that. I think Tate was reluctant to run, which is, I think, um, a big part of why they were so ineffective. All right. And then, uh, there's more here. You ready? Gotcha. Yes. USC, as usual, is getting all of the attention in the Aunt Becky scandal, and it's quite possibly the only way to get Ryan to talk about women's water polo. But that's letting everybody else off too lightly. So here are my top five reactions to their school league. Five, UCLA soccer coach was suspended, so hey, at least there's a silver lining. Uh-huh. Four, I don't know what the big deal is with Lori Laughlin saying they need a plan to keep their girls out of ASU. That's the motto of the Arizona PTA. 
Uh, three, Stanford's head sailing coach was fired, which is surprising. I'd have thought that position was named the Cornelius Vanderbilt director of sailboats. <laughs> uh, two, cheating to get into prestigious school is is the one federal crime Arizona basketball can't be linked to. <laughs> and one, don't feel bad for any undeserving student who drops out of UCLA because of this. They're still qualified to publish Bruin report online. Hitha day, while I may have been an undeserving student, I never dropped out of UCLA. So take that. <laughs> shove it <laughs> it is kind of funny though when you when you look at the scandal and people are talking about it because there was like there were these uh like the the fbi kind of dunked on other schools or, or the other schools kind of get dunked on like the arizona state um comment where like we have to do whatever we can not to get our kids you know so their kids don't have to go to arizona state and i think when they listed how difficult the schools were to get into they were all like very highly selective, very highly selective, except for University of San Diego. It was like highly selective, like a little bit less. So it was like that they, they could kind of like little, took a little shot at the University of San Diego to be included with all those other schools too. That's pretty funny. It is it's weird the way that all worked out, but um, yeah. All right. Uh, we got Bernie who wrote in questions. He said, I belong to both the UCLA and USC sites. So I follow you two closely. Well, thanks Bernie. Appreciate that. Uh, listening to your last uh, Tunnel Vision podcast, Ryan, Dan Weber keeps saying USC has the most talent of any team in the Pac-12. But Dave, you said in your mailbag podcast, you think Washington has the most talent. I know Weber has a tendency for hyperbole every spring, or uh, but Ryan, in your opinion, who really does? Hmm. Well, if you look last year, if you go by the uh, 24-7 Sports does a talent composite where they accumulate all of the star rankings from the recruiting classes and you pile them together. So everyone that's left, it's not just the classes, but if you're the people that are still on your roster, USC last year was ranked number four in the country behind, I think Alabama, Ohio state and Georgia. Um, I'm curious to see when that comes out this fall, where USC lies. I'm guessing USC will still be above because they're going to have more five stars and stuff still. Uh, than everyone in the Pac-12. But I don't necessarily think that means they have the most talent, but by that index, they probably will. I think the recruiting classes are still going to be better than than everybody's if you pile them together, even with the guys that have left. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, Dave. I mean, I, I think because I, I, talent isn't just who you recruited, it's what you developed. Um, and USC, I think, hasn't developed at that rate. I don't think anybody's developing at the rate of Washington right now. Um, so, you know, their their four star is better than your five star. Um, a lot of times, yeah. And so it's just I, I think they're developing at such a high rate that they're turning what is consistently good recruiting classes into um, really, really top performers. Whereas USC and, and UCLA certainly um, are famous for turning great talent into mediocre performers. Um, and I think if you, if you accept that as a given, which I think we all should, um, given that Clay Helton is still, still to the day, the USC head football coach, um, then I, I, I would go with Washington. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And now for the first time, Washington actually beat USC in the recruiting ranking. So you're going to see that now that's starting to shift. If you're talking about a year or two down the road, now you'll probably see that if that continues, you might see that composite index. Uh, but like Dave's saying, I think Chris Peterson's done a much better job of taking 
the talent that's come in. And, and a lot of times it have been three-star guys that you've elevated. Now there's a lot more four-star guys and stuff. So you're seeing higher-ranked guys that are, you know, five-star level. And, and, and now what can Chris Peterson do with them? So I think it's definitely shifted that way. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see what the composite shows. But like they've said that, you know, the, the, the guys that have been in the program for three years at Washington are most likely more advanced than they were when they came in. And you can't always say that about USC. Right. Uh, he said, also, with so many issues facing USC currently, I'm beginning to believe the uh, the retaining of Helton is based more on financial reasons than anything. The university is bleeding cash from settlements so much that it does not want to take on any additional financial burdens by replacing him. I mean, why else would they retain this quote unquote Teflon man? Uh, I can't be. Uh, I think he means it, 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 it can't be to answer the the praise or the prayers, prayers. I think he means to the rest of the Pac-12. Can it? Your guys' thoughts, Bernie? No, I think it's a it's there's a huge mess. They don't have a president still. They might be naming someone soon. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, I think Lin Swan actually hired him to assigned him to an extension that he shouldn't have in you know a little over a year ago. I think that was a problem. They're, they got lots of problems, burning. Like, I don't think you could put it on one thing. There's there's a million things going wrong there. And, uh, and you know, paying a lot of money is just one of them. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, this is from Anthony. Podcast question. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Does the Pac-12 team make the Sweet 16? Uh, no. No, I think the one with the best chance is Oregon, though. Uh, I think they have the best opportunity. What are they, um, nine seed or something, or? They're a 12 seed, 12. but they're probably the one the one um, Pac-12 team that's underseeded. Uh, they they finished kind of strong. Um, they should probably be more. And then let's pull up. Hang on one second. I want to pull up their their path because so they have to beat Wisconsin. And I think Wisconsin's beatable. Um, and then it's either Kansas State or UC Irvine to get to the Sweet 16. And I think both of those are beatable for Oregon. Um, so I could, I could see them getting a sweet 16 out of this. I wouldn't predict it, but I could see it happening. I'm going to predict that all three teams lose in the first round again. Could definitely happen. That's, that's probably more realistic. Um, who do you have in the final four? Have you filled one out yet? I haven't even looked at it. So no, I have no idea. Duke, Duke will win. I think, all right. So I've got, I've got two. One's kind of silly and the other one isn't. So let me pull up the, let me pull up the non-silly one. So and um, he, go ahead. He goes on to say like random questions. Like those two questions weren't random questions. Like what? What's what's more random about these what, next what questions? What even that are sport? Up? What even sport are we asking <laughs> asking about right now? I've got Michigan State, Michigan, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Tennessee, nice. Now that te- I've watched a lot of Tennessee because my wife follows them, and uh, that that's like a senior team. Like they got a lot of seniors on there. Some big dudes. They got kind of like a Zion Williamson light with. Uh, Admiral Schofield, I, you know, Tennessee could make a run. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If you could close one fast, all right, these are the random questions. Oh. If you could close one fast food chain due to disgusting food, what would you pick? I don't really, I mean, I don't like, like avoid, like I'll go eat at McDonald's every once in a while or Burger King. I don't, I don't find any of them like, just disgusting maybe like a white castle i found that somewhat disgusting but i don't i don't live there you know like it's a chicago thing is there one that you just despise or uh del taco i find disgusting really Uh, okay the the weird like i don't know 
white sauce that goes on everything they have. It's not good. I don't like that. Um, Burger King, I find kind of disgusting. Um, I, I didn't have it since I was like a kid. And then I had it like, I don't know, four or five years ago on the way out to football practice, um, in San Bernardino one fall camp. And it, it made me almost sick. Like the burger was so bad. Um, so yeah, I would close either of those. Uh, there's you, probably some other garbage we're not thinking of, but you, of like you got a bunch more stuff. in the South, right? Like, do you, are you like a Sonic person? Do you like those? Like, Oh, Sonic is trash too. Like is Sonic's it? really bad, but I haven't eaten that in probably 20 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Like it, it can still exist. Cause I'm like not even going to ever <laughs> walk into one. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of chicken places in the South and those right. you can't really screw up that badly. Like is Popeye's um, good or is that, I don't, I don't think I've had that. I've never had much. I, I think I've had Popeye's once in my life. Um, Chick-fil-A, the, the, are you a fan? Or? Chick, Chick-fil-A's good. I Chick-fil-A's do, good. I do like Chick-fil-A, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a go-to like fast food burger that you like the best or? Not really. Um, I'm not a huge fast food guy. Um, so where do you stand on In-N-Out? Talk I do. to me about I do like In-N-Out a lot. Like I've had, I've gone to Dallas a few times in the last couple of years and I like Whataburger was fine, but the the debate I'm like, no, In-N-Out's just better. Like I just like In-N-Out better. The fries I didn't like in the beginning, but then you know, that's like, it's an actual potato that they cut right there. And they, you know, so there's, there's that element to it. So I kind of like eating the fries a little bit more, um, but they're not. I mean, McDonald's fries like way freaking better than In-N-Out fries, but I think the In-N-Out experience is really good. But if I had to like, for whatever reason, one of my favorite burgers is like if you go to Jack in the Box and get the like sourdough Jack, I just like that burger. It's pretty good too. Yeah, I think Jack in the Box gets underrated by a lot of people um, because I think their burgers are legitimately good. Like the ultimate cheeseburger. I mean, sure, that's going to go right into your heart. Like it's going to (laughs) actually get clogged there and there's going to be several of them just sitting there inside of your heart, but it's really good. Tastes really good. Uh, in and out. Um, the, bur- the, the, the fries are bad. They're just flat bad. I don't know what your rationalization is. Somebody told me, Oh, you have to order them. Well done. Tell you what, if I have to order it an entirely different way for them to taste palatable, you know what? That's probably not a good fry, but I would also add that for the burger. The best way to eat one of those burgers is animal style, right? Yeah. So if I have to like order something that's not even on your damn menu to make this taste its best, that's not great. That's not great. I would have guessed you were a big in and out guy. So interesting that you're not. It's fine. It's good. It's good. It's just I I don't get the like um like absolute ecstasy that people seem to have about in and out. I would say like of burgers in Southern California, if you're willing to go like I don't know fifty percent or fifty cents more on your price point, the habit's much better. Like you get a better burger there. Habit's very good. I like the habit. And I, there's a lot of like charbroiler places uh, around in Southern California. I don't know if they're everywhere too, but there's one rods in, in Redondo, I think, that I that we love to go to and they have great stuff. It'll be like a mix of Mexican food, but like the the stuff they they the char up. I mean, it's really like the burgers are awesome and stuff. I like going to those. Like, so that's like a little bit more expensive, but it's like a more almost restaurant-y. It's fast, but it's not like fast food, I guess. Yeah. Go go get the habit, everyone. Next time you're thinking about the in and out, just go, you know what? I'm gonna get the habit instead. You'll you'll thank me. All right. And then uh would you rather live permanently in a roller coaster park or in a zoo? 
Roller coaster park for sure. Um, I think a zoo would be depressing after a while, like seeing these animals caged up and stuff. And roller coaster park, you just ride roller coasters all the time, which I like. Well, the issue the issue there is a roller coaster park is almost certainly going to be more crowded than a zoo. True. So you got just people around all the time. But a zoo smells like shit. Because <laughs> you got animal feces just all around all the time. There's that. Um, you won't get eaten in a, in a roller coaster park. That's true. That's true. But you might you might get in a catastrophic accident of some sort. Yes. Are you Not a roller coaster guy or no? Um, I mean, when I uh, when I was like, you know, roller coaster age for sure. Now, I mean, I went on some with my kid. So my daughter is five, but she's uh, very tall. She's a very tall five-year-old. And so when we were out in California recently, we went to Knott's Berry Farm. Ah. And she, she who's five, went on hang time. Have you, have you seen hang time? I don't think I've been on that one. I, I, don't, I haven't gone to Knott's a lot, like the scary farm, but I haven't really gone to like the park itself. So what it does is it pulls you straight up. Like you go up like, I don't know, 150 feet. And then when you get to the lip at the top, which is going to send you straight down, um, it hangs you there for like 30 <laughs> seconds, right at the, or not 30 seconds right at the lip okay and like my five-year-old is on this like five not <laughs> ten five and i'm like i'm on it and i'm like oh it's not cool i don't like this at all and she's just got like this big grin on her face <laughs> and then you go like upside down like three times we went on that like four times in a row she was, it into was it. crazy she loved it so i guess i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a roller coaster person again i guess is nice. what i'm saying here I always liked them. Like if you go to uh, like Six Flags Magic Mountain and uh, I remember in college they opened the Viper and it went upside down like nine times or something. It was like, oh, this is cool. And like the old school roller coasters, like the wooden ones, like I, I've always liked roller coasters. So I, I would think I'm going to go roller coaster park, not the zoo. Yeah, I will too. Uh, this one is from Alex in Pasadena. Let's talk recruiting. Uh, what up, boys? Uh, quick question. What would each of you like changed about recruiting? And you can't say changing the signing period. We know that one already. Thanks and keep up the decent work. Alex from Pasadena. Hmm. What would you change? Um, I would like coaches to be able to go to many more big recruiting camps, like the ones that like Nike does and all these other ones. Um, I think it would provide a good centralized and regulated um, recruiting environment and would um, be better for everyone's schedule, sort of the way they do basketball AAU events now. Yeah, I like that. I'd like to see more of like seven on seven circuit with your high school teams as opposed to like the club teams and stuff, like making that more of a thing, like a separate season, like there's passing season or something outside of the regular football season. Um, you know, it's good for us to cover like, more all-star teams and the seven on seven stuff. But I don't know. I kind of would like to see guys with their high school players a little bit more. I don't know what you think about that, but yeah, I think that's fine. Um, I, I would like to see less seven on seven. Um, just There's generally it. ever. It, it starts right away. Like it's, it's right. Like before signing day, they had like seven on seven things. So like before even the February signing period this year, like, well, it's, and it's, it's creeped over the years. Cause it used to be like, there was a distinct season and now it goes from like mid January to like August. It's yeah. Brutal. It's a lot. All right. Um, you ready for Andrew? Yeah. The last one, there'll be our last topic we got to talk about. Yeah. So this is from Andrew from Buckeye Country. 
Champagne Larry's terror-filled reign may finally be coming to an end. Hello, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, benevolent emperor of all things USC, Ryan, and the trash heap of a university supporter, Dave. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts and opinions of Arizona's athletic director taking charge of the AD council that oversees the Pac-12 and the reduced role and power that... The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? (laughs) Seems to have now. From the Tucson.com article that I've linked below, it appears that a majority of the new ADs have finally had enough of Larry's reckless leadership as well as his wasteful spending. We can all agree that him ruling the Pac-12 has severely reduced the conference's power, influence, and image in the world of college football. One has to think that come the end of 2022 contract deadline that he has, he won't be retained, correct? I believe things would only get worse for the conference if he remains in power. Guys, and thanks for keeping my mind off the scandals and overwhelming corruption that's plaguing the beautiful program and true king of the Pac-12, that is USC. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew and Buckeye Country. Uh, Thanks, Andrew. So he puts a link there. Um, There was a transcript that was sent out. uh, So Larry Scott... And the Colorado Chancellor, uh, Philip DiStefano, uh, I think I think that's how you pronounce it, um, basically they addressed uh, the media right before the championship game in Vegas. But it just so happened, Dave, I don't know, you know, but like John Wilner and John Cazano were leaving. So they had the they had their little media thing after those two, uh, you know, big reporters, the Pac-12 had gone. So they weren't there for this. Um so I don't know if that was by design or what, if they knew they were leaving. Uh, but there was a few, I'll give you a few kind of topics from what they talked about. So they did this at the Hoops tournament. They talked about the women's tournament. It was a success. They had it at MGM. Um, you know, they felt that the Pac-12 certainly in basketball season is was below par by their standards, but they see a very bullish future. Um, one of the quotes was, there's a dedicated shift towards much more openness and collaboration with our athletic directors and others. That was coming from the, the chancellor. So I think one of the themes was they want to be more open. Uh, they talked to the rain group, which is the, you know, they're working on a possible strategic partner uh, to work with us uh, with their media rights going forward. So that's one of the things they've had some really interesting talks from what they were saying, but there's no deal or anything in place. They said the numbers, like they talked about 10%, 500 million. They said the numbers are still, up in the air, but they're talking, you know, they want a strategic partner to kind of help them through this. Um, there's also going to be, uh, an outside officiating review with, uh, Sibson consulting. So they did one, I think in 2011, Larry Scott was saying, so they're going to do another one. Um, and that's, uh, athletic director, uh, from Arizona state there. He's helping head up that. And then, uh, Arizona's athletic director, uh, Dave Hickey, I think is, is the new chairman of the athletic directors council, so it should give a lot more power to the athletic directors. And that's what the Arizona uh, Republic uh, story was talking about, mostly that. And I agree um, with having, you know, the athletic directors having more power here. I think the athletic directors were kind of, uh, there was a lot of issues that they were bringing up, but it wasn't really bubbling up to the surface. I think now it's not just going to be Larry Scott being the face of the conference. You're going to have, um, you know, the, the, the CEO group, you're going to have the athletic directors are all going to be a part of this. And I think there should be more uh, transparency because there really hasn't been a lot of it from, from this, you know, pr- pr- prior to now. Yeah, I think that's going to be good. 
Um, I think that's a, a positive from this, the uh, more power for the ADs. But um, yeah, it would have been nice for them to do that while uh, Wilner and or Canzano could have, <laughs> you know, questioned questioned our man Larry directly. That's, yeah. Some of the questions yeah. look pretty good, but it would have been good to have those guys uh, in there. And, you know, it's I think just just seeing it, it wasn't just Larry's show was a big deal. It was, um, you know, having, you know, someone from that CEO group, you know, one of the chancellors there, I think is uh, a good step. And I think just having the athletic directors who know the deficiencies that are out there, I think that's also very important. And I'm curious to see what they come up with as far as some kind of strategic partner, because there's been numbers floated out there already. We think those numbers are like not realistic. And then even when you look at those numbers, how much of an impact is it going to have on each you know individual team? It's hard to say. And now with like new NCAA rules and stuff that they could roll out where money could be a bigger factor. Like there's more you could offer uh student, you know, prospective student athletes. So that, that gap, uh, the, the monetary gap between big 10 schools, SEC, SEC schools and the PAC 12 could make things all that more important. If you're actually able to offer more expensive uh, items or whatever to these prospective student athletes. So they need to figure something out because it's th- that gap's only getting wider right now, Dave. And if, if it's direct linked to, wow, we can, you could actually recruit, you know, players with more money because you can spend more on different things. It's not just stipend and, and tuition and all that kind of stuff. I think that could be a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up, Dave. Any other thoughts before we go? Here's some breaking news. Uh, USC is increasing undergraduate tuition by 3.5% for the academic That'll take tuition from $55,320 to $57,256. Yeah, you know. $57,000 to send your kid to any school is dumb. It's dumb. Don't do it. Find a trade. Do not pay that much money for an undergraduate education. Thank you for listening to my newsletter. Uh, Nice. I just saw that. This is coming from uh, Annenberg Sports Media. Wow. Or Annenberg, uh, Annenberg Media. Sorry, um, that's a uh, that's a lot of meatballs. That's a lot of meatballs. <laughs> Time. Oh, I crap! I I uh, I retweeted it as the podcast of champions. I'll. Uh, that's fine though. Whatever. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get some extra plub on our. Yeah, like timing wise, like what? How, this. Do you really think this is the right time to roll that out? Like. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It, most of what USC does doesn't make sense. It's a beautiful school. <laughs> does it bother you that it's that expensive? David? Bothers anything is that expensive. Not even, not really, even just uh, USC. Like no, no, like the outcome is so negligibly different at everything outside of like the top 10 schools that it is criminal that some of these schools are charging almost 60 K while there's just no reason for it. Like there's nothing based on outcome that justifies that much money. Like if you're at Yale, okay, fine. Harvard, fine. Stanford, fine. But if you're like, whatever USC, fine school, great school. If you can get in there, Great. It's good for you. UCLA, great school. But like, we're not talking a huge range of difference in outcome 
between like number 12 and number 60. Just like this is insane. The inflation in these damn tuitions and fees. Insane. And that's just tuition. Like if you're talking about room and board and books and all that kind of stuff, it's more like that's just plain tuition in my understanding. Right. Like insane. Like how, yeah. I, how would you afford? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't get it. Um, but you can, it's like, it's almost like a government entity. Like you can, you know, like you have like unlimited tax revenue or whatever. You can spend whatever you want. You just charge more and students keep paying or more loans come in and, and they don't have to be run that well. Um, well, there's a whole thing that it's a, it's kind of a racket with all of these unsecured loans um, where, look, people can keep getting because these loans don't require really any qualifying credit whatsoever to get a student loan. So people can just keep getting loans to make up the amount. And so it's just uh, the only thing is when are they, you know, at what point are they going to have to pay this back? Tell you what, if you're going in the hole, if you have to go full loans to pay your 57000 a year to pay your tuition, uh, you're never paying that off just off of your undergraduate like work. Like it's just not going to happen. You're going to be in debt for 20 years. Wow. Like it's just crazy. Did Full you, crazy. Did you have, so like when I went, I had a partial scholarship and then I had some loans. I did a work study, which like, I guess you just work, we, you work for the school, like different jobs around the school. Like I worked at the athletic, like uh, the gym or whatever. And I, you know, that was my job, yeah. but. But you were, and so you kind of pod it all up. But the, back then it was only like I think it was like twenty five grand or something uh, for like everything, and that seemed like ridiculously high, you know. Um, but I, I can't imagine that now. Like I can't work. You can't work like some ten dollar tall ten dollar an hour job and make any kind of dent in what your tuition's going to be if it's like almost sixty k. Yeah, no, I mean think about it. Like there's a lot of people whose full time jobs don't give them sixty k a year. Yeah, like and that's to live on, to do everything with. I mean, if you're trying to service, like say you go to school for four years at 60K, you have to then service $240,000 in loans on, you know, and if it's just an undergraduate degree you have, you're not making any $240,000 out of, out of college. You're making, you know, probably high five figures at most um, without a graduate degree. Yeah. And then you pile on graduate school loans on top of that, do not go heavily into debt for an undergraduate education. Go to the yeah. place that offers you the most money or have family wealth. That's really the story of the United States of America. Nice. All right. Well, I guess that's a good way to end on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, I need some more cold medicine. Um <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff, Ryan. Yeah, Good we'll uh, we'll try to talk Washington State next week. So if you want to send us an email question, we'll, we'll try to remember it because I already put a note in our little Google Doc. And and we do apologize. I know there's – so we're recording this over Skype, and there's definitely some cutouts. And we're, our, both of our internets are good. I think it's a Skype thing. We could try Google Hangouts. We could try something else, Dave. But we might try to record – this is behind the scenes – each of us record our own audio and then put it together afterwards. So um, we'll try that maybe next week and see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry if the sound quality is driving you insane. We'll, I, we'll, we'll do better. It should be pretty good. There's just little cutouts every once in a while. So um, we do apologize for that. Uh, and, you know, since I'm recording on my end, you're not hearing me cut out, but you would hear David cut out. So if we both record uh, and then we put it together, 
Maybe maybe that'll be David's project. Like I can send him my recording and he can put it together. Maybe that that sounds that sounds right, right, Dave? Yeah, so this will be the last podcast of champions <laughs> you guys ever hear. Oh, it was okay. a, had a good run. Yeah. All right, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> uh that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in. We were gonna do a short show today and it's almost two hours. So I, this always happens. Whatever. It's just it shouldn't be shocked at this point. But thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.